0: Hi everybody, welcome to another Park Report Podcast interview. This is Roy. My guest on today's episode is a talented musician, singer, songwriter, producer, former record label owner, former member of the 90s band Saigon Kick. I'm talking about Jason Bieler. A couple of years ago, he released a fantastic album, Songs for the Apocalypse. He's back now with a new album called Postcards from the Asylum. A really eclectic uh, collection. It has a bunch of great guests, including Marco Miniman, Ryo Akimoto, uh, and a few other people. Last album he had Devin Townsend and Mumblefoot and some others, so he could definitely pull out the Rolodex and get some guests. Uh, he's a really funny guy, really talented guy. It's always a good chance to talk to him, so make sure you check out his new album, which comes out on April 14th. Before we get started, just a reminder to follow us on all our socials. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now, my interview with Jason Bueller Good to see you, man. Uh, have you been? What's What's going on? How's the new record uh, getting received from people? What are you hearing so far?
1: It is an avalanche of love, nonstop praise. Uh, I, 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 you know, I mean, I just can't. I wake up every day, and it's like I am I am wrapped in a cocoon of public <laughs> love. Uh, so it's it's a uh, you know, it, it, it's been amazing. Actually, all joking aside, I mean, you know, uh, you know, the first record was received so well. And so many people were so very kind that, you know, I inevitably just, just the artist in me is like, okay, well, we're never going to get that kind of moment again, where it it seems to be, you know, doing all the, you know, checking off all the right boxes with people. And uh, thus far up until this point, uh, it has been just really fantastic feedback. People seem to really be getting it and uh, you know, I couldn't be happier.
0: Is it, do you in some degree feel like, like a new artist like you're relaunching this this career with the, these two records or i don't feel new
1: i feel appreciative of being given the opportunity for a second look so like like from my perspective you know i've always tried to be creative and always tried to make music and you know all, all that kind of good stuff but i'm super aware at this I mean, i think when i was in my early 20s initially a lot of that stuff kind of passed me by so yeah Getting the attention and having people really respond well to the records probably means more at this point than it did in the past because I was so, you know, horse blinders, just, you know, next, 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 next kind of mindset. So, um, yeah, but it's it's it, like I said, we've discussed it before. I mean, I, I, most artists uh, don't get the second look or get that kind of rediscovery moment. Saigon Kick wasn't Metallica. Uh, in terms of size. So it's not like I couldn't get out, you know, once you're in Metallica, you're in, that's, that's what you will always be. But, you know, um, there's a huge chunk of the the group of people that have discovered these records that really had no idea that that even existed. So that's a really cool place to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, the last album was great. It had, it had that, it bridged that psychon kick sound and allowed you to explore some new territory. And I thought there was, there was the typical, kind of weird stuff that you like to throw in. It introduced you to the prog audience, which is really how we were able to sort of cover your record and, and bring it into our world over here. And, and then you started playing with prog musicians and, you know, bringing and, them onto your records. You, you've talked about how you've been embraced by the prog community, but, um, you know, talk about that a little bit and how that's sort of been this weird revelation in this second half of your career, I guess it's like a
1: freaky dating app where I don't think either one of us were looking for each other <laughs>
0: right. or, or
1: neither of us made any changes to woo the other. But like, maybe we were the last two people at the bar one night, a few cocktails in and we were like, you know, the Prague audience was like, well, that other guy is the only one here. And I was like, well, those Prague people, you know, they seem pretty interesting. And we just kind of got together and um, yeah, I mean, they've been super, I mean, the thing that, that I've learned about the Prague community is that it's, it's the coolest musical community in the sense that, they truly have no rules. Yeah. There isn't like a prog thing. As much as I can put my finger on it, I think it's just about pushing the envelope um, and not being cookie cutter. But within that, you can do anything you want. I mean, so, you know, from a lyrical standpoint, from a musical standpoint, they seem to be super accepting of anything from Opeth to King Crimson. You know what I mean? And anything in between it. I think it's just about bands or artists that... um aren't afraid to kind of just pursue different things musically. And, and so, yeah, that, that's been an amazing thing. I mean, to me, but I don't feel, I mean, and you, I'm, I don't know that I have the best perspective on it, but I don't feel like all of a sudden I've made a conscious change as much as I think I've continued on my path and this is kind of where I wound up and that community has been kind enough to come at it without maybe pre you know, prejudging it. And
0: well, I sort it, of have a theory about it a little bit I mean the the 70s 80s press and and you know media that was covering it sort of adopted the uh, the that Prague is about capes and wizards and dragons and 20-minute keyboard solos that that's what that's what Prague was defined as and it gave it a bad bad name really but there was never it wasn't really called Prague there were, and there wasn't Prague websites and Prague magazines covering what people thought that was until the last 15 20 years really right and in that that world of people that cover it and websites that cover it and stuff we've all realized that not only do we like yes genesis you know king crimson like you said but we like saigon kick and extreme and super tramp and electric right. light orchestra and the beatles and they're all in this weird world of bands that do whatever they want doesn't have to be 20-minute songs. That's right. that's the m- misconception, I think. Are you trying to
1: tell me that my whole concept of wearing a cape this year is really passe? So you got fitted for the cape. They I came did absolutely you, get fitted the, for the, it. The
0: Prague I, committee came and fitted you for the they, cape. They did commit
1: me. They did, and, and I've been uh, paying my bedazzler overtime.
0: Well, nothing wrong with that, for sure. I, I mean, know. that's next <laughs> yeah, but level, level Prague.
1: Yeah, but the people are, you know, I think that's a, you 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 said it perfectly. I mean, it's just bands that are not fitting in. I mean, I think with any genre, there's a a a tendency for a lot of bands to kind of go through that hole of the you know that that that's been open. So whether it was Prague, you had your giants, and then you had a lot of bands that were kind of in that mold, trying to fit through. And with hair metal, you had it. With new metal, you had it. With uh, you know new wave, you know, every genre has it. And what the prog aesthetic seems to be to me is to be the first of those, you know, to to be, you know, so whether it's animals as leaders or right. whatever, it's just as long as you're kind of pioneering your own sound a little bit. Not that anything, nothing's brand new, but as long as you're kind of finding some new ways of uh, mixing stuff, people, uh, you know, people kind of are really accepting, as opposed to like you know, the EDM marketplace, like if you're not using the kick drum of the month that is supposed to be that kick drum sound, you're just, you're not in the game.
0: Yeah, that's 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 the pop music world. And that's why that stuff gets dated and you move on to the next thing and the next thing. Right, um, but I think
1: that's, you know, yeah. I, I love pop music, you know, as much as anybody. And I, I think there's cert- certain parts of music and the magic of music is, some of it is meant to be passively listened to. Like, you know, I I, I, I think Taylor Swift is great and i'm sure there are people that don't listen to it passively that that like really deep dive and invest in every nuance of it um but yeah i mean some of the pop music is just meant to be on the treadmill too or you know sure on a boombox while you're playing you know but i don't know that you put pink floyd's the wall on a boombox and go and play basketball to it right you know what i mean certain records are meant to be it could be great that could be my whole <laughs> secret um hashtag lebron hit me up Uh, but you know i mean so i mean i think but there's nothing that's what's great about music i mean everybody finds their own kind of a place for it
0: for people that aren't familiar with you i mean i i I assume most people that are listening to this or watching this are familiar with your work with saigon kick um in, in the early 90s um but when you guys were doing your thing um where did you see yourselves as a band? Because it was right in the between end of hair metal, beginning of grunge phase. Like you were right in the middle, I feel like. Did you have a idea of of what you guys were trying to be at the time? Because I always thought you guys were very different than what was out there, really. I think we were not, I mean, bands
1: that are great bands, but they were just aware of things changing more so than we were, like Pantera. Pantera was a full-on spandex, glam, poofed-up, and but they kind of saw where music was going ahead of time. Alice in Chains, brilliant band, but they were also kind of way into that hair metal, poofy, great thing, and they saw what was happening. Well, we managed to be hated by all the hair metal bands because we were kind of too strange and not really doing what they were doing. And I don't say hair metal negatively. I know Eddie Trunk's going to kill me uh but i don't mean it i mean of it's just, just what I, you
0: call it i hate the term too but what are you gonna do
1: as far where i think grunge is way worse than hair metal as a name they like that name though and i guess i, I mean grunge is just like you know something yeah. you scrape off the bottom of your bike chain uh but anyway all the hair metal bands kind of despised us because we weren't really part of that and we, and we were at that point touring we did shows with faith no more and the ramones and you know all this stuff But I always loved all kinds of music. So we had ballads on the first record. The ballad on the first record didn't become a success, but it was on there. And then the ballad on the second record, right as this whole, you know, tectonic shift of music and genre and who you could be a part of, you know, that kind of exploded. So we put ourselves in a position where none of the previous bands uh, would touch us, meaning the hair metal side of things, because we were whacked out. And then the grunge bands and whatever the new style of music were going to hate us we were the poster child for the anti version of that because we had a ballot that succeeded. So we put ourselves right in between. Like if it was that Superman movie where the you know the plates kind of opened up and the car fell down the middle, yeah, that was like on King. <laughs> yeah. No, with no Superman to spin the world the other way and fix it all.
0: Yeah, That's, it was a weird time. It, there was a, a good ten year gap where I didn't. I had a hard time finding music I liked to listen to. Also during that period, it was a weird. Uh, For
1: for me, though, I always had to, I mean, I don't have an issue, but it's like, I mean, I grew up listening to everything all the time. So I was never that guy that was like a diehard metalhead. Like, I loved Ozzy and I loved certain things, but I was also listening to, you know, uh, the police and listening to, you know, Tom Waits and listening to Bjork and listening to the Sugar Cubes and listening to you know, uh, all kinds of music, Elvis Costello and XTC. I love some of my favorite bands and I love the Maiden stuff and I love Dio and I loved, so I was always listening to anything that I liked. I mean, it just, I, you know, and it seems like now the world's come to a place where that's way more like most people's, you know, little custom playlists, if you look at them are not like as genre specific as they were when we were kids. I mean, you know, when we were not,
0: kids, not, you, sat at, uh, you sat at a table. like My kids and, and, and teens that are growing up now, certainly, yeah. Yeah. They don't care no. what is what.
1: No. I don't even know if my kids know that like ACDC is like 70 years old and re- they just like the tunes. Yeah. The thing that's kind of makes everything so disposable now is that, you know, when we were kids, if I played you a kiss song or whatever, it would take you like six months to find a magazine. Find out who was in the band, you know, get bus fare to go to the mall to buy the record. To buy... So it took you like six months to a year before you could even call yourself a fan of Yes. Yeah. And now, like wh- back in the day, my daughter, you know, watched the Twilight movies and she heard the Muse song in the Twilight movie. It was like, oh, and within like 15 minutes, she, oh, this guy's got a peanut allergy. He doesn't wear, you know, uh, he doesn't wear canvas, whatever this is. He hates this. And it was just so like in, in 15 minutes, she had ba- basically done what would take us a year and was on to the next thing, you know, like it, 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 it doesn't, it didn't have that kind of investment that yeah. it took when we were kids, but that doesn't necessarily make it bad.
0: No, I, it's good and bad. You know, I miss the old ways too, but then I also like listening to an album at the drop of a hat just as well, you know, uh, discovering something in two seconds, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. It's, it, it's like that. I want to talk a little bit about the new record. Um, which uh, comes out April 14th uh, and, then, uh, and then you have uh, vinyl for pre-order now on uh, your Bandcamp page mm-hmm. um, and uh, exclusive uh, red vinyl, any of those left?
1: Not many, like we're down to the last few, so which is pretty cool. Okay, We've so
0: run, run the... there and get it, It'd look really cool. Uh, then you have another version of vinyl, it's available for uh, indie stores, I believe. Yep. Um, and uh, I mean, it's 15 tracks, there's a few out there now, six songs I think already have been released uh if if you look up heathens which is the current single you'll get all the tracks there on on streaming services and it's all really cool different stuff and it's great yeah heathens was just added to uh,
1: you know apple music's breaking hard rock playlist so so a bunch of really cool stuff's been happening uh... yeah yeah
0: no it's it's cool man what are some of your favorites on the record because it's uh it's a really diverse collection of stuff heathens is is sort of uh I don't know almost like kind of on the punky kind of heavier side, and then Sick Riff is a straightforward metal thing flying monkeys is a crazy frank Zappa prague kind of thing. Mexico's just this epic soaring you know soundtrack kind of ballad thing i mean what where do you if you were to put it on where do you go what's your what's your favorite on this thing
1: you know uh as you know uh because you know you've been unfortunately for you the bouncing board for a lot of this for a long time. <laughs> uh, I can't, I, I can't even listen to the record right now. You know, It's going to take, <laughs> yeah. take me a year or two to figure out like what we did. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really thrilled that it's having that response and people are really into it, but it's kind of been to the point now where, you know, I've gone through it so many different times that, you know, I really don't want to hear it. Um,
0: yeah, that's I, a bummer he, for every, every artist feels that way. I think at some point when they put work on the record for so long and yeah. And you just, you know, you're waiting for it. You're
1: waiting for it. You're waiting for it, waiting for it to come out and it, and it winds up being on your playlist while you're doing your, you know, just who you're listening, you're listening, you're listening. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it'll take me a little while to really know what stands out to me, like, um, or, or what I kind of gravitate back towards. And like, I'm already starting to think about the next one. That's just the disorder I have. That's what my well, brain That's cool. Is.
0: Yeah. What you know, um, was there a song or, or a a couple of songs or a direction that, was more challenging than something else that you, you know, was there a song that took you a year that you just couldn't get it? Or do you have any feelings about any, any of the tracks like that?
1: Not so much that, but I think the biggest battle for me was, and you were part of the help helping with this too, is just the, uh because of the diversity of what I do, finding the right balance of different songs and what songs needed to be on it. Not that they weren't good songs, but you didn't want to have, you know, five of one type of thing, you know, for me, yeah. like I wanted to have that ebb and flow. So I think that was harder than fi- finishing anything in particular, any particular, I mean, I generally love all the different stuff musically, like in terms of stylistically. So none of it was like a challenge or like I couldn't play it or didn't realize the way I wanted it to be as much as just really, you know, the problem with working in isolation, I think a lot is just that you can lose all perspective on what you're doing. That's why I, as much as I don't want to listen to the record necessarily right now, I love hearing people say how they feel about the record because it's a little bit of validation of like, okay, we didn't make you know because you just don't know. I mean, until you really
0: put it out there, that you just don't know
1: right. what you how other people respond to it. Yeah,
0: and you start to see, oh, they like that song that I hated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, time time.
1: And, 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 and like any artist, I'm sure I wanted to pull the three most popular songs off the record. <laughs> were my least favorite. Yeah
0: yeah exactly i mean you're somebody that has had success as an artist um ran a record label had success as as that um you know went solo and is, is is doing that again uh and now releasing a record on your own what part was there a part through that whole career that was the most challenging you know or You know, was every bit sort of equal, you know, just its own thing.
1: It's it's all the same thing generally, but I think from my perspective, realizing for better or worse, I like to do what I like to do, how I want to do it. That's not being bitter. Like I hear so many guys of my, my generation, excuse me, like that are like, oh, the music industry. I love the music industry. I love my friends in the music industry. I love the labels I was on. I'm still friends with the vast majority of those people. But the process of the way my brain works and then having to sit in a conference room with people and then go like, you know, if you just wore a hat and did this and then, you know, we just change this like this. And, that, and it's not even that they're not right because they probably are a hundred percent right. It's just, I like a spoiled toddler want to play with my toys the way I want to play with my toys, how I want to play with them. and And coming to that realization has been a much better mental health place for me um then this constant feeling of like oh, now i gotta sit in this meeting where the radio department's gonna tell me they want to do this and that and then if i only made the song 30 seconds shorter and and again valid contributions to uh to, to what you know to, to the process just not hey puppy came in uh not um anything i'm interested in doing anymore you know i, I just i just don't have time to i just want to make things the way i want to make them for better or worse and uh that that's right. Um, that's the way I want to do it.
0: Do you think as an independent artist, it's easier today or harder? You know, the the barriers are e- you know, less, but um, you know, obviously Just, making a living at it is significantly harder. Or or is it? I mean, how do you look at it?
1: I mean, I think I like it. It's like the wild, wild west again, in the sense that anything can happen at any time. Uh You know, to be a successful artist 20 years ago, you know, you needed to have a major label machinery, you know, the fact that right now some kid can be in, you know, in Guam working on a song, upload it, and next week be an international sensation was not a possibility. And I think that's a cool thing. The negative side is there's 8 trillion songs coming all the time because there's no barrier to entry anymore. You used to have to go to a studio and spend a couple thousand bucks, which means you needed to be in a band with at least two or three guys that had jobs, which was impossible. And then they would pay for that studio. And then you have to get that. And then you have to bring it. You know, there was so, much, uh, so, much, uh, so many fences to get to where you wanted to go that most people just wouldn't do or hop. Now, everybody's got a laptop, everybody's uploading their new songs on YouTube, and everyone's creating iTunes. So there's so much noise that I think it's harder to hit that critical mass of like, you know, even but I mean, the same thing could be said of TV, like when we were kids, there was like five TV shows. And when you went to school the next day, everybody watched the same show. So you all saw the Dukes of Hazzard or Different strokes or the eighteen. Yeah. Yep. Everybody went, now, no one's watching the same thing. You know, everything everything's niche.
0: Yeah, and it's cool. I I sort of miss yeah. I a lot of it is I guess is the age. I sort of miss that. Like I like watching the same show every Wednesday. I have something about it appeals to me. I don't know. Uh, no, you know I, what I mean? I, I like the two, but I think there's more
1: rabbit holes to go down that maybe not won't be national things. I mean that you know, one guy's going to watch Yellowstone or other people are Breaking Bad fans. Someone yeah. else is going to watch The Last of Us. Or someone else is going to, you know, so uh, I watched 1899, which I thought was brilliant and, you know, or Dark or this or the international stuff or some of the Korean, uh, you know, so everyone's watching all these different things, but it, none of them are necessarily going to be E.T.
0: Right. Like, Nothing oh, hits our- that critical mass because everybody's all in, right? That's Right. Sort of, yeah. I mean, you guys were almost that last era of, Bands getting signed out of hitting it in the clubs, right? And the A and R guy coming and you know, uh, whining and dining you. I mean, was it, it, that era's kind of that part? I think is done, right? It's it's yeah, and, for sure. We you, you were the last sort of era of that, I think. But um, even
1: that being said, we did it all backwards. I mean, because we didn't have a demo tape, we didn't have pictures. We literally went and played like i think it was called the treehouse was our first gig uh which is long since gone i think and you know we played in front of 20 people then we came back and there was 50 people then it was 100 people then we got some gigs at this you know summers on the beach and uh the the button south is really where we made our our bones but uh it got to the point where just by playing these shows over the course of a year or two years you know we were drawing 1500 people a night to two nights in a row at the button south so it literally happened where like Jason Flom and Michael Weiner came down to see our show together on and and like, let's do a deal. And then it was like they took us to Wags or Denny's or whatever, whatever was in the parking lot next to the buttons out and said, you know, Michael was like, well, I'm doing the new skid row record in four weeks. So if you guys can be in LA on Monday, we'll we'll start. So even before we had the deal all worked out and like we were on planes out to Los Angeles to start working with Michael Wagner. And so it kind of, it wasn't overnight, but it happened backwards. Yeah.
0: But yeah. when you were playing all those gigs uh, and it's growing and it's growing, can you remember what, it, what was going on with you guys in your minds at the time? Like, a record label's coming any any day now. Like we're, you know, we're gonna get signed any day now. Was that sort of the, the goal? Was that, that you know, the the brass ring was almost there kind of thing?
1: I'm sure we, I mean, we definitely wanted a record label, but we were, you know, you know, cause you are from, from Florida. I mean, it, it's such a isolated, weird scene. So we were really ignorant as to how probably the right way to do things and how everything worked. Because when you're in LA at that time, there's 500 bands that are all rehearsing next to you that are all doing the exact same thing. Yeah, that every singer has the same hairspray bottle and knows how to do their hair. Every guitar player had the seatbelt strap so they could spin their guitar. Everybody's got the songs about the same topics because you're all next to each other. You're all part of it. In Florida, you know, it was like Nuclear Valdez, which had right. nothing to do with us. It was yep. it was it was Miami Sound Machine. It was you know obviously legacy stuff. You had the Tom Petty stuff out of Gainesville. You had Molly Hatchet, uh, then a little bit after us, or as we were starting, you had Marilyn Manson. So there was never this cohesive like, oh, there's 20 bands like Warren.
0: Yeah, it wasn't a scene like that.
1: Like, So we didn't know what other bands were necessarily doing or how to go about it. We just made enough noise in our area that we that it, it kind of came to us.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, you also, uh, fast forwarding a little bit, so, so... A couple of years ago, you released uh, Songs for the Apocalypse, and then uh, you briefly joined uh, with uh, Jonathan Mover and Ryo Akimoto um, uh, and a couple of other guys. I forget who's in it. Probably, Michael Sadler. This, right. And um, a thing called Project, where you played a bunch of prog covers for a while with them. That was sort of your you diving headfirst into that, that prog scene. What do you remember from learning a bunch of those songs, and and what was good or bad about about the music? I'm not talking about necessarily the the playing of the band or anything. I'm just curious about your headspace with the music and absorbing it. It was all good.
1: I mean, I have nothing negative about it at all. Um, I mean, Jonathan, who's been a friend of mine forever, who's just as good a drummer as you can find, called me up and he was like, "Hey, would you want to do this prog thing I'm doing?" And I was like, "Well, I got to be honest with you, you know." First of all, I love you, so yes. Second of all, I don't know what you mean by prog. Because like, I, to me, Prague at that point was, you know, the Yes album, uh, you know, uh, Owner of a Lonely Heart and, you know, and Genesis, the hits with Phil Collins. And right. that was my kind of, and other than the fact that I knew, like if I was at a cocktail party with guitar players, I had to say Robert Fripp was brilliant or Adrian Ballou's brilliant. But I didn't know why I had to say that, but it was just right, like, the, right, right. it's like radio hit is now. You have to, you can't. If anybody says Radiohead you have to, oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, great, and
1: they yeah. are brilliant. I, mean, I don't mean they're not, but I was saying it from a real phony ass point because I just saw him in Guitar World, so I was like, he's got to be great. Yeah. Uh, and Jonathan was like, no, we're not doing anything that's less. Every song's like fifteen or twenty minutes of like you know like the and all these different changes, and so it was a crash course. Um, so yeah, I backed my way into like this prom world where it was like Gentle Giant and and obviously the really kind of deep King Crimson tracks and the yes tracks that were 15 minutes long and you know Siberian Catrune and all these things that I just were so far off my radar. Um but I grew to love it. I mean in a different way than they did. They grew up with that. That was their mute that's their DNA music. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when them and Sadler would get together I'd be sitting at the like the dinner table I'd be like like do you guys ever listen to Diary of a (laughs) madman? You know you <laughs> it's guys like another hear,
0: language they're talking. Yeah,
1: did you ever hear Number of the Beast or anyway? You know, and, and they're talking about, oh, and like 71, you know, Wakeman did this thing and it was like whatever. And like, you know, I was like, Yeah, uh, <laughs> anybody like Katy Perry? <laughs> but musically it just exploded my brain. Like and it was so it was it was so nutrient dense um that um in my own way it 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 just it kind of expanded my ability to go like, there are no rules. There are no limitations. And I can express myself um with different time signatures, different melod- melodic structures, different, uh, you know, it just kind of was a whole new, you know, funny, brand new world. You know, it's like- cool.
0: I can imagine just hearing a lot of that stuff for the first time. And that, I mean, I'm sure you heard a lot of those songs growing up in passing here and there. Right. But Hearing them like that and really analyzing them, it's got to be like completely different.
1: Yeah. Well, Jonathan, those guys went for all the deep, deep stuff. So, really, like, he was debating on whether, like, you know, uh, Roundabout was too, like, eh. Right. It was too too much of a given. Like, why would you play that? You know, right. And and they were getting these arguments about, you know, Pink Floyd's not Prague. And, like, you know, it was so it was just for me, like, hearing their whole, like, you know, micro analysis of all these songs and, and most importantly, getting to play with Rio and getting to play with Jonathan and, and Michael and and, and uh, Matt Dorsey, uh, and, and uh, they have changed a bunch. Now um, Mike Keneally's playing with them. You know who I think the world of. Also amazing. Yep. Yeah, just ridiculous. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was just like you know. I, I guess it was my my version of going to Berkeley.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just so, like- uh, well, of course Rio plays on on your new record um, on a song called "Birds of Prey," which is really beautiful. He plays a great piano part and uh, and of course marco miniman on flying monkeys which is the perfect drummer for that um how did you get in touch with uh, marco to do the record did you sent him the demo or or had the song evolve with him i it?
1: met marco jeff and i uh, jeff Soda and i were doing a show out in la and marco came and uh i don't know if he knew like i was a, i'm a massive guthrie you know who isn't you know as a musician you yeah. go you know, so I, uh so i met him and we hit it off and you know, you when any, anybody says like, "No, dude, you hit, you know, hit me up, we'll do something." It's always like that's like the LA thing for like, "Don't ever call me," you know. So I was like, "All right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna call you," and and sure enough, we 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 connected, and uh, I at this song in particular, knowing how brilliant Marco is, and like you know, one of those guys that can sight read the black page by his, you know, just like lunatic in terms of talent, and it was great because it was a perfect track where I could tell him like you know, drummers never get told to go nuts. They're always told to, you know, play to the song, play to the, and in this song, I was like, dude, please do full Marco, unbridled, go, go berserk. And he did. And it's, it's it's so fun fun to listen to, like, you know, uh, selfishly, even if you don't listen to what anything I'm doing on it, if you're a drummer uh, the way he reinterprets and reinvents and rebuilds every single structure as it comes by is just over the top. Great.
0: I mean, there's so many layers to that song, all the guitar sounds that are going on on that thing. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible stuff. It's very cool. Very much a headphones album, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, I hope so. I mean, we, you know, I obviously worked with Andy Blacksugar again, who I will maintain is probably the greatest undiscovered guitarist. I mean, he's not undiscovered, but he's not as known as he should be. He's so talented. So he's a huge uh, part of the fabric of how these records come out. Uh, but when we started to make these records, I, I want the record to be a record that you don't feel like obligated. Like you don't look at it like a giant, like Tolstoy novel where you're like, Oh, I don't have six months to sit here and listen to this whole thing, you know, from beginning to end. So I wanted to make it digestible any way you want to listen to it. But for those of us who want to open up a double vinyl, read some insane credits, uh, and sit with headphones on, I wanted the record to function like that, like, like, the records did certain records did for me when I was a kid so I wanted that experience to be available to people so like you said there's a ton of headphones headphone stuff going on and hopefully the more people listen the more they discover and hopefully it's a record because it's got so many layers you you can find a little more shelf life than a one and done hopefully
0: yeah no there's a lot to it it's an it's an awesome album and I think it's uh I think you took the last record which was great and took it up a notch and curious to see what you do on the next one i mean have you already started to envision it i mean are you just well what's a demo stage for you like or do you not demo do you, do i don't you, really
1: demo do you I'm just right.
0: finish a song and then move on to the next song
1: pretty much yeah i mean i feel a lot of pressure now because the brilliant robert merrick who's done all my artwork since the beginning has already done the cover for the next record,
0: hmm. and
1: uh, so now I like he started the pressure ball rolling. I'm like God, that album's so cool looking that now I have to start thinking of like how to live up to it. And I love the fact that we've taken this kind of steampunk bizarre, you know, alter ego Baron, you know, and he's kind of moved himself into this new record. And uh, Roberts already placed him in a whole new world for the next record, which is super cool. Which leads me to all kinds of creative options. Um, musically. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: I wanted to take a little
1: bit and not be sending you demos like, Hey buddy, what do you think of this? Cause you'd you know, if you start listening to this stuff now, you're going to kill me before this next one.
0: We just finished the, the last one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, I, again, uh, well let's, let's, uh, let's let you go on to, uh, bothering some other people with more, more stories. Um, but again, um, postcards, uh, from the asylum, I got the name, right uh, comes out April 14th. Um, Jason Beeler is it Jason Beeler.com or, or
1: there's a Jason which has been newly updated because I forgot I had a website, uh, since no one ever goes to websites anymore for the most part, but it is now freshly, uh, updated with a pop-up graphic of me. Uh, so you can scare your kids
0: if you want to go to the website and, um, yeah, all the social medias. Yep. And uh, the Bank Camp links are everywhere. You can pre-order it. You can check it out now. You can listen to a few songs on streaming. There's there's stuff everywhere to be had. Um, I, I one of the most creative artists out there, honestly. Prague, not Prague, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's just killer stuff. I'm so glad you're still making music. I've been a fan for thirty some odd ridiculous years. So that's really bizarre because I'm only 28. So yeah, I, it's weird how that works out but uh well thank uh, you so much because yeah. you're a
1: big part of uh you know being you know you kind of were one of the key people that introduced me to the Prague crowd last year and kind of tell people like you know like it's almost like there was going to be a riot like no just calm down and take a second listen. <laughs> just listen for a <laughs> sec
0: you won't hate this trust me all right dude always good talking to you and uh, we'll talk again soon
1: absolutely thank you so much buddy
0: yeah man Thanks to Jason for the interview. We're going to close with a bit of one of the singles uh, released from the album. This is Sick Riff. Make sure you check out the new album, Postcards from the Asylum. comes out on April 14th. Check us out on all our socials. Check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll see you again soon. Thanks.